we're all in solidarity with each other that at a certain point we have to stand up and say, is, is this the end of this business or not? <laughs>
and re-upload to this file without names redacted and with introductions including the shows but just know that you can always check out these actors work to support them on your own they're working on some really amazing things and they want to get back to working on those amazing things really briefly another thing to be aware of i usually do a ton of editing on my podcast episodes and manicuring they're usually long form one-on-one sit-down interviews these are literally man on the street interviews where i'm talking to people on the street on the picket line. So you're hearing car horns in the background. Oftentimes these are people honking in support of the strike, but there's a lot less audio processing because I don't want to compromise the integrity of the interview because it's much less formal than the sit down interviews that I normally do. So you're getting the genuine takes right from the people that I met that day. Let's jump into the interviews. Outside Fox Studios, I had the opportunity to speak with SAG AFTRA member and longtime actor Clay Savage. My name's Clay. I'm a member of SAG AFTRA. So this podcast is really about talking about people's break-in stories, and then right now we're obviously looking at it through the lens of the strike and how it's affecting everyone. So could you give me a little bit about of your backstory, what projects got you your SAG card, how you got here, um, and then how the strike has been impacting things and why it's so important that you're out here today? Uh, You know, I've been in the uh, union for, I think, 1993, so 30 years. Uh, I actually got into the union by being a stand-in on a miniseries. Uh, I was a stand-in for Robert Loggia and uh, got me my SAG card. And then I was doing a lot of theater and improv and sketch comedy. And then I got into uh, the voiceover game, which I've been doing for now about 30 years. Yeah. So. It, and what are some of the projects that you're the most proud of? Uh, gosh, I've, I've done, well, you know, I was in the... Uh, I did a lot of revoicing for Steven Spielberg in 20th anniversary, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, I was the voice of the, in the last movie, just in a couple of scenes. But you know, it's, it's, it's uh, so much of what we do goes uh, uncredited and a lot of voice replacement, a lot of uh, voices that go uncredited. So, uh, you know, you, you, you're out there a lot. My kids have a game where they say, I heard you. Uh, but, you know, most people don't really understand what I do. So uh, when I can say, oh, it's the voice of the suit, and they say, oh, that I understand. So, yeah. Okay, and could you explain to someone unfamiliar with the strike what is happening here today? Oh boy, uh, you know it, it's really about uh, just that the whole business structure has changed. Uh, you know, the, the the business model used to be you would be on a TV show or a movie, and you would make residuals, which really is the lifeblood of an actor. If and we were talking about it earlier, you know, if you are. Uh, if they call you and say, hey, we need you for an audition and you need to be there Tuesday at one o'clock in the afternoon. If you didn't make a living, you'd have to have another job. And that other job might preclude you from being there Tuesday at one o'clock in the afternoon. So your residuals are sort of uh, is the gas that feeds the engine. And they want to basically eliminate residuals. And it's, 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 you know, tech has changed fundamentally. If you think about the music industry, you know, uh, it used to be they'd say, oh, well, we're going to sell your song online and we're going to pay, if you remember, it used to be a dollar a song. If you were on Apple, you know, Apple Music, a dollar a song. And you'd make, you know, a musician would make money based on that dollar. And then they got people used to doing it. And now it's like, well, you pay us $9 and we'll give you all the music you can possibly listen to. And that screwed the, the musicians. They, they don't make enough money, so they have to tour to make their money. Well, actors can't tour. You can do a play, but you're not going to make a lot of money doing a play. So they want to do to us what they did to the music industry, which is basically eliminate, put all of the product online for $15 a month, whatever they're charging currently, and 
not pay residuals. But they're, you know, in, in my estimation, they're shooting themselves in the foot because if they turn this into a gig, you know, rather than a career, they're not going to have the talent, the people to be available to them when they want you to audition or they want you to, you know, shoot something, you know, on an afternoon if you're walking to, you know, if you're working for American Airlines at the same time or wherever, you're not going to be available. Suddenly you're no longer a professional. You're just a guy, you know, or a woman doing a gig. So it's uh, so that's one aspect of it, obviously. And then the AI is obviously in the voiceover game. It has the potential to completely eliminate an entire sector of acting, voice acting. If you have an AI, you're talking, I mean, you know, narration, if you like listen to books on tape, that can all be AI. Uh, you know, animation, if you, if you enjoy, you know, watching uh, an animated feature or cartoons, that can all be AI. All those jobs, gone. Uh, you know, foreign dubbing, gone. Uh, there's so many aspects that a computer can, with AI, can just eliminate an entire sector of of employment. And it's just, you know, you, you, you get to the point where you say, you know, are we, do, are we willing to tank the economy? Because it will, you know, it's not going to be, right now it's it's actors that are and writers that are complaining, uh, that are worried, uh, and rightfully, but it's going to be if you're an accountant. An AI can do your job. You can eliminate CPAs, architects, engineers. You know, so many jobs can be eliminated by AI. And as a society, we have to just come to the point. It's not just about, you know, actors and writers. It's about where are we going as a society? Are we going to support people over profits? And that's really what it comes down to. So, there, I mean, those are the two big issues right now. I mean, uh, for, for actors, it's residuals and... Uh, and, and AI, but there's other, obviously other things, you know, auditioning on tape, you know, there's a lot of other issues that are important that, uh, but then the writers have, of course, different, uh, AI is obviously one, but they have different, some different uh, concerns, but we're all in solidarity with each other that at a certain point we have to stand up and say, is, is this the end of this business or not? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a great, great explanation of this for someone who has no idea. So we're also out here trying to put some actual faces to the writers and actors behind the strike because it's so nebulous and you see these headlines, but we it's so easy to forget there are real humans out here on the lines. Could you maybe share with me a couple of key risks that you took when you were trying to break into the industry? Well, trying to break into this industry, if you are, well, it, whether you make it as your career or not, whether I've been very fortunate that uh, I haven't had to have another job but but even if you are you're 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 working very you're working you know a few jobs a month even you still have to have another job to make a living and just saying that you're a writer or saying you're an actor that in itself is a risk just just standing up and saying I'm gonna go for it you know there's no uh, there's no economic safety net if you're gonna say you're gonna be an actor or any artist anything you know musician writer actor anything there's no safety net everything is is dependent on your your luck I mean a lot of it is luck a lot of it is on who you know but after you have that lucky break or you know somebody in the industry that is going to uh, you know get your foot in the door it's it all comes down to truly are you good enough to survive there's been lots of people that come in and they they do one or two things and then they're gone so just standing up and saying I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna try that is a it's a giant economic risk if you want to have a family you know I have kids it's uh, I've been fortunate but it, it, I know actors that have been successful and they have to stop because they're like I just haven't 
it hasn't worked out. You know, I'm not I'm not earning enough, and the earn the, the pay that actors have received has just gone down over. And and and, and I think it's important for your for your listeners to understand that what we're striking for are are minimums. We're not striking like I I, I read online and I hear oh well Brad Pitt is making twenty million dollars a movie. It's like Brad Pitt is not working under the minimum contract. We're not striking for Brad Pitt. He has a lawyer that makes his deal for us. At our level, we don't have, we don't make our own deals. We have to go on what the SAG minimum is. And that's what we're striking for, is just to make it, uh, for the average person, you know, 85% of members of SAG don't make enough a year to qualify for health insurance. So that tells you, you ask about risk, that tells you the risks that we have taken. And what's that, what's that threshold for health insurance? I think the... For, for, for the base level, uh, it's like $25,000 a year, and then it goes up to like maybe thirty five. So think about that. I mean, you, can, you could be a guest star on a show and make $4,000. Well, out of that 4000 you have to pay taxes, you pay your SAG dues, and you pay your 10% to your agent, and a lot of people have a manager also, so they have to pay them. So when you think about it, you think, oh, I saw you on CSI. You're like, oh, you're killing it. You're doing really well. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I made about $1,200 when all was said and done. And if you, if you get six guest stars in a season, you are killing it. You're doing very well. People are going to recognize you and say, oh, I saw you. It's like, you're not making a living. You know, you're not, you're barely surviving. So if, if we, if we're going to make it in this business that either you're a celebrity, you know, you're a top of show person, you're a series regular, or you're broke, that is unsustainable. So that's what we strike for. What is your message to actors who might just be starting out looking to break in? You know, it's, uh, my message is if, you know, James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, among other many things, he gave advice once. He said, if you can imagine doing anything else, do that. It has to be, look, I can't imagine myself doing anything, but I want to try to be an actor. And, you know, that means doing, you know, I came up doing, you know, improv and, and, and plays and things that nobody will ever see or ever, ever remember. You have to, that's what you have to do. Uh, I honestly, you know, when I, I say this to my kids, if you want to, uh, to break in, do everything you can to give yourself the shot. You know, you see these YouTube people, and I, I know a lot of them are just doing, uh, you know, TikTok dances, and they get 20 million followers. I'm not talking about that, but you can. There's nothing with with technology the way it is today. I would I would tell young people make your own movies, and I don't mean you don't try to make you know Dead Reckoning Part One, you know, make a small film and get be used in front of the camera and get it out there and put it online for free, and try to build uh, a resume and try to build a name, and if you're lucky and that's what it comes down to, you get lucky and then you then after your luck you become fortunate. Uh, those are two different things, uh, but once you once you break in, hopefully you can sustain a career, but it is uh it's hard <laughs> yeah okay and just briefly in, in one sentence what is your message to the studios today uh it's it's hard to say then just one but it's it's really comes down to uh the the profit margin cannot be the be all and end all of your existence you have to understand that we are all in we are all in concert with each other and just start recognizing I understand that you want to your stock price to go up this is more than one sentence I know it just I guess put people 
put people over profits. It just, just, it, it's, you, you'll still make money. You'll still be, you'll be okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Next, I got to speak with SAG-AFTRA actress Nanrissa Lee. Hey, I'm Nanrissa and I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA. Can you tell me more about your path to acting and the show that got you your SAG card? Yeah, um, I started acting in middle school, realized I really liked it, and um, from that point on basically like had designs to try to make a career out of it. Um, that happened decades later. Um, uh, I was in LA for a while, I kind of more or less messed around, and then um, got my SAG card on, uh, um, on a, a show that was really popular at the time, so I was very lucky. Um, and from then on started to, uh, I got sober and then started to get my stuff together and started to work a little bit more. Yeah, congratulations on both those achievements. Thank you. And what is the project that you're currently the most proud of? You know, I have multiple, but I would say uh, certainly one of the milestone ones for me is the one that I'm currently a part of, which is uh, a show called Yeah, it's my first series regular and it's been a great learning experience. and. Um, I think, of course, as a result, I'm, I'm in a very privileged position, I realized, during the strike to be able to continue to pay my rent and things like that. Um, I think everybody, everybody involved in the strike wants to be working, of course. It's, um, but I, I do think that the reasons for striking greatly outnumber actually being able to go to work every day or have the opportunity to, to work somewhere on set, so... Were you in production and then the strike shut the project down or were you guys done on that like a filming? Um, we got partway done. So we, we uh, put the first probably two, over half of our episodes in the can. Yeah. So we'll, we'll air in the fall as far as I know. Yeah. 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 What's your message to the studios? Stop being greedy. Just stop it. Stop it. Like... Uh, SAG, the writers, uh, IATSE, the uh, Teamsters, we're all the reason why you make the money that you make. Stop being so freaking greedy. There's enough for everybody. What do you hope the landscape looks like five years from now? Um, I think more rights um, for my union and also my my fellows that are in, in their respective unions, better pay, I think hopefully residuals and strong protection for AI. I spoke to Nan Rissa outside Sony Pictures Studio in Culver City, California. She was attending that picket with her friend and colleague, Casera. Here's SAG after member Casera Clark. I'm Casera. I am in SAG-AFTRA. Could you tell me about your journey to acting, what inspired you, and what landed you your SAG card? Well, I was actually born into it. I was, uh, my mom is on soap operas and everything, so as a young kid, I became a union member. So I've always been in it and been a part of it. For me, it's my birthday today, and I think I'm really here because I... I like the idea of celebrating my birthday by saying, hey, this is what I'm worth and I'm going to demand it. That just speaks to me in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, could you tell me about your journey into acting? I was born into it, so my SAG card, I basically just, I didn't even have to think about getting a SAG card. It was as a baby, I qualified for a SAG card, so. Did your parents tell you what project it was that got you the SAG card? I think it was General Hospital and Days of Our Lives. My, my mom's right there, so I, I guess I, I, my mom went into labor on General Hospital, so on the set of General Hospital. So I think it was uh, General Hospital as a baby that like they, I was a, I was an infant, an infant actor. <laughs> Could you tell me more about the project you're the most proud of? Yeah, 
well, I'm a comedian, and there is a project that I was a part of. I had a small part in it, but it was uh, written and starring um, a comedian that I really respect and love. And so just being a part of it, even with, like, one line, was a huge deal to me. It was a show on... So, um, as someone who, like, loves comedy and loves, like, when comedy is very truthful and raw, like, that that's probably just the project that I just have so much respect for and I'm just so happy I was a part of. I am fortunate because I got my SAG card on a daytime show. I can mention that I, I, I received my SAG card through Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, and the various daytime stuff that I did as an infant. Um, I was born into it, so I, there's a lot of things that I certainly take for granted, and it's a big deal to make the choice to be like, no, we're, we're, we're worth more. We don't have to keep going with this sliding scale of taking, you know, as things evolve, as more and more people want to be actors, the market demand can be like, oh, well, we have to take less because others will. But it's like at a certain point, we can also just decide that we're worth more and we don't have to do that. There's also like AI is going to change. This industry is going to change every industry around us. Like AI is going to fundamentally change like the world as we see it. And I do think it's really important at this point in time to remind ourselves why we're here and why we do why what's the point of entertainment like it's about connecting it's about human rawness and real and and everything and those are the things that AI won't be able to replace but it's all the more reason that we need to recognize how worthy it is and how much it deserves and especially when we don't know what the industry is going to look like soon even all the more important to be like this is why it matters right now I'd say the amazing Nanarissa Lisa, don't be greedy, and that's beautiful. I'd say further to that, recognize that AI is going to change the industry for everyone, including you, studio executives. So if you can just lead with a little bit more compassion and empathy right now and acknowledge what we're worth, everyone's going to be happier in the long run when AI completely changes our world. All right, where can people keep up with you online? I'm on Instagram at Casara Clark, C-A-S-A-R-A-C-L-A-R-K. You heard a little bit in Casara's interview, but her mother and longtime SAG-AFTRA member Cynthia Clark was also available. Here's my interview with Cynthia. Cynthia, I'm in SAG, SAG-AFTRA. I'm a legacy SAG. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Cynthia Leah Clark, D-R-C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-L-E-A-C-L-A-R-K. So we are allowed to talk about your time on General Hospital because that's a daytime TV show. So you have some interesting insights on being a pregnant woman during that time. Could you tell me about that experience? Yes, um, way back when, 30-something years ago, uh, they had unfair clauses about pregnant ladies working. And so you weren't supposed to work past four or five months. So I just misled them about how far I was. So when you were nine months pregnant on July 18th, you were saying that you were five months pregnant. Yes. <laughs> and then when you told that producer you were about to pop, what did he say? He was like, what? But uh, yeah, I mean, I knew I was due that week. I didn't, I knew I was in labor at that moment. Um, it was like too late because I needed help to get to the car to get to the hospital. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then they actually ended up benefiting from your family because then your daughter was cast in the show as an infant. Yeah, they felt that we were so close to birthing her on the show that they felt they wanted, they had to hire the child almost birthed on the show. So a family legacy on General Hospital. Exactly. It was really, it was cute and fun. But but uh, Wes Kenny was the executive producer at the time and he was a friend of mine, so he wasn't mad. He was like, you know, just looking at me side-eyed and kind of smiling. Oh my gosh. Well, shout out to Wes. Glad that all worked out. Yeah. He was, he was a great executive producer.
Could you tell me how the strike has impacted you personally? Because it's very easy for people outside of the strike or outside of Hollywood to kind of make gross generalizations. But these these rules from the studios have very real consequences that are impacting you as actors. Could you tell me about more of those consequences? There's different philosophies with different generations. And because I've been in over 40 years, we lost, we lost, we lost, we lost. Casera came in when we'd lost a fair amount of stuff. She didn't know how much we had. So she didn't know how much we lost. And now, finally, a lot of uh, Gen Xers and Boomers are saying, uh-uh, we're not going to take it anymore. We want some stuff back. And we're fighting to get stuff we lost and, and stop losing more because we can't live like this. We cannot make a livable wage. We can't. Extras used to be able to live on doing extra work. They can't anymore. And this new proposal is ridiculous. So this is what we're fighting for, to have close to a livable wage, which we used to have. I used to make a living as a working actress. I can't now. And people who used to always have medical insurance, working actors that you would know their names, don't have insurance today because of the back, 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 back. And another small thing, I, I, it's kind of small, but it's big too, is auditioning now is not what it used to be. Yes, COVID changed everything. But now COVID is still here, but kind of not as prevalent. And we're still doing self-tapes. And if your self-tape isn't perfect, they move on to somebody who spent 60 or $100 per self-tape. And if everybody spends that, these little studios that pop up are getting rich. You're spending a ton of money to be seen, which our guild never allowed it to happen. You could not pay to audition. And yes, you're not paying the casting director, but you're paying a third party to audition. We're just going broker and broker and broker. So we're asking that either there's some sort of compensation or that we go back to regular auditioning. So everybody's on an even keel. So speaking about some of those things that you said you lost, for someone who's not in the know, what are some of those things that you previously had and now you're fighting to get back? Over time, the amount of pay, um, we used to fly first class. I know that sounds silly, but then we used to fly business class and now we don't. Uh, we don't get paid a full day's pay for travel time. You lose a whole day traveling, but you don't get paid for that. Um, there's per diems have gone down, so we don't get full per diems when we are traveling. Um, the way the food is sometimes scheduled is not the same. Residuals have gone way down. And in certain cases, we don't really know if residuals are being paid or not paid properly. Um, so there's, there's just a ton of things that we're going, what's really going on here. And in terms of AI, um, I know Casera briefly touched on you know, bring the humanity aspect into acting. But there's also a separate part of this. Even if someone has total disregard for the humanity, there's a piece where your likeness is being used without additional compensation. Can you explain a little more about that? Well, we are our product. We are our uniqueness, our nose, our mouth, our ears. Um, so if somebody takes that and then puts it on the screen, they've stolen our product. So they've stolen our personal IP and we're not compensated like offering the extras one day's pay and they can use it forever that extra okay you could work every day at one studio you wouldn't even make your insurance in the year much less now they can use you in perpetuity and now you've got to find a new career so that's going to happen to the working actors too they'll put words in your mouth and they're stealing your likeness
that's you, but that's not you. So somebody looks and says, oh, I saw you in this movie. I didn't do that movie. Well, you're in it. I didn't get paid for it. Everybody else gets paid for their product. You buy soap. You have to pay for that soap. You buy me, you have to pay for me. So making me is wrong. I understand you might not be able to say the title of the project, but I think even just giving context to someone about, you know, you and your joy for acting and also the excitement of reaching a milestone, like being able to join a union. Could you tell me a little bit, a little bit more about your path here? It was uh, 40 something years ago. I was in another city and uh, there was a major television show filming there and that's where I got my SAG card. And then I moved out here and worked. Um, and then I, I got a daytime series. Um, and literally, uh, July 18th, 1989, I was on General Hospital playing a pregnant lady in a Lamaze class. And uh, the uh, producer of the show is a friend of mine. He came down and he said, wow, you're pretty big. And I said, yeah. And he goes, when do you do? I said, oh, any moment now. And he goes, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> And she was born a few hours later. <laughs> so, so Kassara is her lovely daughter, of course, who we just spoke to. And for those listening a couple weeks from now, and this is released, we are recording on July 18th, which is the very day that she's speaking about. So thanks so much for sharing that with me. What is your message to the studios today? We just want a fair wage and we want the writers to have a fair wage because everybody in the industry knows the people at the top are making big, big bucks. And we're not asking. I mean, they did a, a study that I saw last night. Uh, for some of the studios, it's 2% of what the CEOs are making, and some it's 1%. And of that, it's like 0.05% of their total income. That's nothing. 0.05 is what? Well, it depends on, on which uh, of their total uh, money's net coming in. So It's paid to the actors? or for, for the actors and the writers. We're not, I mean, when you look at it that way, we're asking for such a little bitty drip in the ocean. And they're saying we're being uh, ridiculous. No, they just want 10 planes and 15 houses. We want to live and we want insurance. Yeah. yeah. What is your hope for, say, five years from now? What do you hope the landscape will look like, both for yourself and for your daughter? Well, I hope that we get a fair deal now and that we can work with AI and that if AI takes off like we think, we are compensated for our, like residuals, but better. So some better formula for us to get in perpetuity that look um, and that there's a fun way to keep it going. The entertainment world is incredible. That's why we do it. No matter who you are, a director, writer, actor, that's why we do it. We love it. So it's not even necessarily that SAG is totally opposed to AI. They just want it to be a tool that's used in a way that is fair to everybody. Right. No, I don't think we're against it. I'm, I don't know for sure, but as far as I know, we're not against it. We just want to set a stake for to be compensated. We know it's going to happen. So give us a fair shake, whatever that may be. And lastly, I got the opportunity to speak with a very passionate actor who just became SAG eligible. So if you're someone looking into pursuing acting in the near future, this is going to be someone whose steps you could follow in just a few years behind. Here's Jack Powers. My name is Jack and I am pre-SAG, so aspiring to be a SAG member. Can you tell me where we are and why you're out here? We are at the Fox Studios here in sunny Los Angeles, California. And we are here picketing today um, on strike with uh, SAG and the WGA Writers Union. We're trying to put 
faces to the unions that are striking. Could you tell me a little bit more about your acting career and journey? Absolutely. Um, mine, I'm sure, as a lot of other people, have kind of a uh, interesting journey to L.A., to Hollywood. I always dreamed of being in this business as an actor and uh, playing great characters and telling amazing stories. Uh, but I am from Northern California. I didn't really know where to start or who to contact or anything. So, uh, and I, a big part of my early life was uh, sports and it ended up becoming collegiate sports. I played college football. Um, and once I was finished with that, I was like, you know, what now? Maybe I should go pursue this crazy dream in LA. And I ended up like, ah, it's, it's too sketchy, it's too scary. I'm gonna go get a corporate job. So I worked a corporate sales job in San Francisco for two years. And I just had this kind of, as corny or as funny as it may sound, this calling to come pursue this dream. Uh, so I came the first time right before COVID and COVID kind of finished everything off, uh, shut everything down. But I came back uh, two years and a couple months, so just about two years ago. And uh, it's been amazing. It's, uh, it's crazy and it's, um, it's just as crazy as you'd think of just trying to figure everything out, especially coming from a corporate background where there's like a corporate ladder of, you know, you take the entry level job and you, you move up. This kind of feels like, you know, where do I start? And then even when you're doing well, sometimes it can all get lost or, you know. How did you land your first role in acting once you got to Los Angeles? And then what role made you SAG eligible? Yeah, just uh, first role would, uh, would be, you know, short films, student films, self-submitting on uh, websites and casting networks. Um, I just had my first SAG job as a principal on a uh, national commercial, which is really exciting. So I'm now SAG eligible for the last like two weeks, which is awesome. So I'm kind of out here in solidarity with the writers and the actors, and I plan on joining the union very soon. And uh, I plan on being in the union for the rest of my life. So this is an important time uh, in this business and for these artists to, uh, you know, get a great deal and I mean, as an artist, you do what you love and uh, you also want to be able to support your life. And, you know, we, I'm talking with people today who have kids and, you know, I'm, I'm a single guy, so it's a little bit easier for me. But, um, you know, to support a life, uh, you know, you need a good deal. Can you tell me about an audition that you nailed and what did you do to prepare for it? I nailed every audition. No, I'm kidding. One that I... It's funny, this commercial, I, I went in, I was just very relaxed. It just more like, because it was all on the direction of uh, the lady in the room. How to prepare, just know your lines and try to put yourself in a place. It was a, a second callback on a Zoom, which is really interesting in this post-COVID world of where it's all self-taping and Zoom for the most part. Um, which I think every actor would love to be in rooms, but anyways, uh, how did I prepare? It was based on a book. I read the book in two days. Uh, it was a, I'm not much of a reader, so that was a struggle. Um, but yeah, just spent every waking moment thinking about it and kind of make your choices. And I think auditioning is interesting because I think a lot of your choices are set. But then also when it's a audition through Zoom, you can kind of be in the moment and make choices in the moment and, and really work off the reader. Um, 
or do your best to do so. But I, I felt like I did a good job in that one. Okay, so you've played a wide variety of characters. You've played a Viking, you've played a gangster, you're playing an athlete, which goes back to your roots in this national commercial. How do you approach all of these roles and prepare for the diversity of characters that you get to play? Definitely. I think um, I've taken a lot of classes where it's all these, you know, a lot of different techniques, and I love a lot of them and pull from a lot of them, but I think the main thing is imagination. I mean, as an actor, you know, the reason why we do this is because we kind of refuse to grow up and we just want to play and have a blast. And kind of staying in that, like, kid-like mindset of, like, oh, it's this, this gangster. You know, like, I get to play. That's amazing. You know, that's not me, but it's going to be exciting to play. So to answer the question, watching, kind of getting inspired by different television movie you know try to study someone that's done it better and that, that has will do it better than you you know I just played a 1930s gangster um, so I was watching all kinds of things I love Peaky Blinders so I rewatched a lot of that especially like season four when the mob comes to Birmingham um, but yeah just trying to have fun with it I think is the main thing and you can put a lot of pressure on yourself especially you're like, oh, this audition can, you know, pave the way, or if I just get this one. But I think, you know, as corny as it sounds, falling in love with the process, getting an audition, and you're excited, not because you might get the job, which is always exciting, but I think it's like, I get to play and act for the next three days and create something as good as I can, and then you kind of forget it ever happened, and then hopefully down the road you get a an email or a text or a, a call from your management and you're like oh sick but uh yeah okay so just in a couple of short years and during covid you've managed to move to los angeles leave your job in the tech industry and make some major strides in acting you're sac eligible you landed a great manager you have a great agent specifically for stunts and you have several projects that have already come out and are coming out so given all this you won't you've recently done all of this as someone earlier in their acting career what is your advice to someone who's just going to be taking that first step to breaking in uh, go to someone else that's more successful for better advice. No, uh, I think, I mean, so much of this is networking and meeting people and coming from a place of um, appreciation. And obviously you gotta, I mean, there's a lot of things to do, the headshots, the, you know, try to make a reel, try to get on student films. And I would say, you know, if, if you're moving to LA, you probably should have a car. You should probably have a, just very basic things, a means to live, a place to stay. I first came out here, I was like, I'm gonna be a, you know, a rad, you know, starving artist. I'm gonna live out of my car. That lived, that lasted about two weeks until I was like, oh man, this Chevy Volt's getting crowded. But uh, yeah, a place to stay, a car is great. Um, and then just trying to do your best to network and be, you know, as corny as it may sound, be like genuinely nice, always try to help. Um, I think having an attitude of gratitude, whoa, look at that rhyme, should be a writer. Um, but seriously, like just being appreciative, because you know, you have, you'll find yourself early on, on some interesting sets of maybe a low budget student film, and it's 100 degrees, you have armor on or you have you know you're wearing a suit and you're sweating and there's no water and there's no chair and you're like god this is kind of miserable i'm not even getting paid for this but then in your mind you're like oh actually like this is the dream 
you know, this is the process and what a beautiful thing and how appreciative, at least for me, I felt to be pursuing this dream and to be able to do that. Um, I feel very fortunate to come to LA at 27 with a past experience of, you know, some, some corporate job experience and God bless everyone doing that, but it wasn't for me. And knowing that, hey, I've done that and now I'm doing this and I just feel so grateful to be doing this and to have the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I don't know how much advice I gave there, but I think just always coming from a place of service as well, because I think a lot of, it's really easy to be like, hey, how can you help me? You know, like, um, like oh, I want to be an actor. Like, oh, you're a, you're a guy, like, can I get on? And I think it's just being cool, being, you know, just, hey, that's awesome. And like, how can I help? You know, how can I just be on set and I'll come work for free and I'll get you coffee just to get set experience. Um, so I think those are, Important. What is your favorite story from set? My favorite story from set? I'll tell you my favorite day on set. Um, we, I did a Viking project. Um, it was a short film shot for seven days in the Angeles Oaks. And it was really my first time stay, being on set and staying on a set um, with other actors, production, you know, makeup. And kind of just the bonds you make are so cool. Um, I kind of relate it to, I would say like the military is the highest of it all, of like you're, you're together pursuing something that's great and you're, you know, trying to win. And then there's like my past experience playing college football of you're on a, I mean, which is way under the military, but it's like a group of people, for me, a group of guys coming together to win and achieve a common bond. And I found that same camaraderie on pretty much every film set I've been on where it's, a bunch of people coming together to make something as good as we can do and to tell a hopefully a great story and um, yeah but favorites favorite day on set was it was a night shoot I wasn't I had already shot during the morning so I was uh, it was about 40 degrees 30 degrees maybe and so I was all warm but just hanging out with the other actors it was the funnest one of the funnest nights of my life and just hanging out watching two other great actors go at it um, but just being on a set and having a blast with everyone, drinking a bunch of coffee at 12.30 at night and uh, telling stories and building relationships. It's, uh, yeah, it's what it's about, I think. What is your message to the studios today? I think for me, you know, from my experience and being very new, my message to the studios is I came here because I love film. I came here because I want to be a part of film and television and playing great roles and telling great stories. And for someone that didn't grow up in Hollywood but looked at it from a distance, it's such a, a beautiful thing and such a magical thing. And I think that's how the world still sees it. And it's a very integral part you know the studio is important they got the sets they got the money and it's great but such an integral part is the artists involved and at every level and i think you know the the strike is the artists between sag and the writers um trying to work a deal where they get the benefits to live um 
you know, I have, you know, there's uh, plenty of stats that show how certain people that are, are working, you know, not everyone, a lot of people don't work, but the people, even the people that are working are struggling at some level. So I think the message to them is, hey, I'm so blessed to be here and pursuing this, but, uh, you know, we also got to pay our bills. Awesome. Thanks for speaking with me today. Where can people find you on Instagram and TikTok? My Instagram is jackpowers90, which is my football number. My TikTok is uh, jackpowers with three Zs. No S, three Zs. Okay, thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you want to hear about how someone navigated the last strike and how they did come out the other side with a very successful career after overcoming all those challenges, feel free to check out episode four with Nina Sadowski or check out episode 11 with the writers on the picket lines in exactly the same format as this. Let me know in the Spotify comment section if you'd prefer more episodes like this moving forward, at least while the strike is ongoing, which I think everyone's hoping that it won't be too much longer. Feel free to reach out and let me know if there's a specific picket that you're going to and maybe we can catch you on the podcast. All right, talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.